Support for the game podcast is brought to you by StarCityGames.com, the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies and home for the best strategy content on the web. If you would like to support the game podcast, feel free to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the G-A-M podcast. everyone, welcome to the 67th episode of The Game Podcast. I'm the host, Jerry Thompson. Here with me is Brian Gottlieb, a.k.a. Eight and a Half Tales. And I know that it's slightly less than nine, but what else? Dude, today was one of the proudest days of my life. As anyone who follows me in any form of social media knows... This is the foxes! I became a fox dad today. There, there are six foxes living under my shed in my backyard. One mother fox, five of the most adorable baby foxes you could ever hope to see in your life. If you don't follow me on Twitter, go look it up at go. I posted many pictures, many videos of the fox and her babies, and they are awesome. I literally never want to go to work again. I just want to sit at my house and look at foxes all day. Yeah, dude, how do you run so good? I have no idea. I, I don't live in the woods either. That's what makes no sense about any of this. My backyard is essentially an elementary school, and I'm in the suburbs. This is I, I'm not like a, a nature <laughs> man, but I have a million squirrels, and, and now I have six foxes, and I, I don't know. I'm just blessed, I guess. Oh my God. There's a picture of like one biting, one baby fox biting another baby fox in the face. They're preposterously cute. It honestly makes no sense how cute they are. Can you play with them? Can you pet them? Um, so I don't think so. I don't, I don't think that's in their best interests if I try and befriend them. I think the babies would be very receptive to that. I think the mom fox would be very freaked out if I started approaching her babies, but they basically have no fear right now. She's in charge of, of, you know, protecting them from everything. And she would probably run away and be terrified if I approached them. So Word. I'll just let them do their thing for the time being. Cool. Well, see if you can like leave them some presents or something, you know, some food. I don't know what foxes eat. Vegetables and other animals. I actually had to save a cat from her the other day. She had a cat mm-hmm. trapped under my car and I had to go yell at her so the cat could escape. But oh, overall, the fox experience has been very good. I'm enjoying being a, fo- yeah. a fox. Head. Yeah, you get hella cute pictures. So yeah. What what more is there to life? Uh, we're we're gonna try and figure that out, I guess. So this is gonna be one of the episodes where hopefully you can just bookmark this, maybe go back to it later, maybe get some inspiration, and that might be a tall order overall because I don't know. We could also just like completely blow this episode. I have no idea how this episode is going to go. It's either going to be uh, a bunch of people's favorite or the most reviled episode we've ever done in the history of the game podcast. <laughs> I guess we'll see. Yep, uh, anything could happen, so this this should be fun. Uh, but I was telling Brian a story a week ago about a friend of mine who saw the movie Whiplash with uh, me, my roommates, and some other people. I don't know, like, we just had a, a very good discussion about, like, what it takes to be great and kind of, like, what we we felt the movie was about. And then he saw the movie with a group of other people, and they had basically the opposite reaction to the movie where they're like, this movie was awful. It was about an abusive relationship and like, Oh my God, why, why didn't this guy leave this abusive relationship sooner? Right. What, and, why don't you give just like a quick summary of the movie for people who haven't seen it? That way. They yeah, so, that so whiplash is awesome. I think part of the reason I, it resonates so much with me is because of what I interpret the theme of the movie to be, which is just like that 
kind of like struggle and journey into potentially becoming great at something, right? Because like that has just been my my life and my career as far as magic. But it's it's about a kid who wants to be a really good drummer and he gets into this class with this awesome teacher or like this this uh, revered teacher and the teacher is just like a giant asshole to him. But like it is because he sees something in him and wants him wants to push him to see his like full potential. Yeah, I think that's a very good summation. It, it's basically, uh, you know, kind of a, a drill sergeant type approach to yes. pulling out his his inner ability and his inner greatness as a jazz drummer. And also the soundtrack was amazing. It, really an awesome movie. If you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend you go check it out. Either, you know, you can pause. We'll be here. You can come back. Or as soon as we wrap up here, go and check out the movie Whiplash. Yeah. And if not, uh, if, if that doesn't sound like your thing, well, I, I don't know what's wrong with you because you should see it. It's just awesome. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, you should totally see this movie about drumming. And I'm just like, no, what? But yeah, and then I see it. I'm just like, oh, I love this. It, it Like the music, the drumming aspect is a vessel for the message and the story. Right. And, and I don't know. I mean, maybe it, it's my kind of like anime nerd roots, but it felt very Cowboy Bebop-ish to me. That's the first thing to come to mind. Oh, yeah. Obviously, Cowboy yeah. Bebop is renowned for its jazz soundtrack. And, uh, you know, maybe a more recent thing, if you've played the game Cuphead, it's got a lot of that kind of vibe in the music. I'm sure people who are actually jazz aficionados are laughing at my description right now. Um, but as a very casual jazz fan, that's that's my take on it. Okay, well, less less about music, more about the actual topic, because I, I think this is possibly how we blow it, is getting off on tangents. So. <laughs> Just talking about nonsense, yeah. So, yeah, my... My friend, like his his big takeaway from seeing the movie with two different groups was just like, I'm I'm pretty sure like a lot of these people in the second group, like they don't have the capability of being great at something. And like if if that is your your first takeaway is like, oh man, this is like an abusive relationship, blah, blah, blah. And it's not like, oh, this is what you have to do in order to be like legitimately great at something, like you're, you're probably just, you don't have the capability of like working that hard to achieve something, or you haven't found a thing in which you are passionate about enough to want to become great at it. Right. The drive to put up with such a situation, um, to, to say, no matter what the cost, I am going to keep coming back to this thing. And I'm going to, you know, literally bang my head against the wall until it makes sense to me, until I'm able to get to that next level, have a breakthrough achieve the goals I need to achieve. It it takes a kind of incredible focused intensity to truly be great at something. To be good, a lot of people can be good. To be great, it's a whole different, whole different ball game. And that's what we're going to touch on today. The ways we think you can be great at things. Right. And, you know, this is a magic podcast. We're certainly going to be talking about that a decent amount, but I do think that it's worth noting that this stuff is applicable to anything. And we're, we're going to hopefully touch on some of that too. So, yeah, I mean, I guess one of the things that we should talk about is like, you know, are are we great, right? Like, we we have this podcast that I would deem as very successful, and I think that I am very successful in the magic community, and you less so, but you also have been like splitting your time, whereas I've been like focused on magic a hundred percent. So, like, what what does that mean to you exactly? Like, what what do you define as greatness and like, do you think you're there? Right. So I think by almost any metric that you're using to determine historically great magic players, 
I fail. There's, there's not one I pass on. There's, there's no conceivable argument I can make that looking at my stats, what I've accomplished that I'm an, a great magic player. I will say, however, though, that I personally, and you know, people are free to disagree with this point if they feel differently. I personally believe when I am engaged in magic, when I'm playing magic at my best, I can play on the same scale as the great players. Does that mean I believe, you know, I have the capability to be an, an Owen, a Jerry, a Huey, you know, all time greats? I don't know the answer to that. I'll be honest. I, I don't know that if I dove all in, if I was 100% committed, if I could ever reach that level. But I do think that I've proven that when my focus is turned on to magic, I can absolutely compete at the premier echelon of the game. I think my ceiling is a top 25 player in the world. And I know some people will laugh at that when I say that because I don't have any resume. Why would they ever believe that? I honestly do truly believe that though. I, I think that's where my ceiling lies. Very few points in my life have I been at that ceiling. I can, I can only think of one or two, to be honest with you, um, because I have pushed my interest in other directions. But that's my answer to your question. And you know that's kind of the premise we're going to have to move forward under. If you disagree, that's fine. I'm still going to tell you what I see in greatness. And also... I think that I've seen multiple forms of greatness. I, I've been in kind of the magic world where greatness is defined on raw intellect a lot of times by raw capability. And I've also been involved in what a lot of people would see as greatness in the academic world. Um, you know, the law firm that I was at was a, a top tier law firm in New York City. Uh, most of my fellow lawyers there were Yale, Harvard, Ivy League schools, absolute elites of their schools and, and the top of their class. And I was only there because I was at the very tippy top of, of my class. So I've seen multiple types of greatness. And I think I've now recognized the defining characteristics, whether you're a magic great, whether you're a lawyer great, whether you're an academic great, I, I've seen enough of it to know how to identify it and to kind of give tips on how to, how to achieve it yourself. Word. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, too much about you or, uh, your job necessarily, right? Like, I don't know what it looks like when you go into work every day, right? But it's like, when I'm staying up until like 4am, just like looking over magic deck lists. And you know, this this was last night for me. It's like, I, I was working on my article this week for Dominaria standard deck lists. And I'm juggling like standard and legacy for GP Seattle that's coming up. And there's also like modern that's always in the background of my mind. And that's like GP Hartford the week after or whatever. So it's like, I'm, I'm just like fully engaged in this sort of thing. Like, is, is that how you are at work or like when you're super into magic or is, is that what you see in these other people too or what? So, so that's how I am when I'm super into magic. If I'm speaking honestly about my experience as a lawyer, I've never felt that way about the law. And that kind of brings up maybe one of our first tips. You're not going to be great about something that is not your true passion. I was passionate about law school. I enjoyed the process of law school, and that's why I was able to succeed there. As soon as I started the practice of law, I started started seeing a lot of flaws with the workday, a lot of flaws with what you could actually accomplish as a lawyer, and my passion weaned very quickly. So I would say no, that's, that's not what I'm like at work. My time at work is spent thinking of how I can get back to to think of some more about this deck list that I have floating on Magic Online or, you know, some other thing I have going on in my life. So I don't commit to the same level. And maybe that's why I'll never be a great lawyer. But honestly, I'm, I'm very comfortable with that because I don't have the same passion for lawyering that I do for Magic. 
Word. So tip number two, I think, is in in regards to greatness in general, whether or not you're going to hit it. And I think a lot of people for Magic would say, like, the Hall of Fame is kind of the line, right? It's like, oh, well, these, these people are supposedly the greats. And yes, there are current great players who will be in the Hall of Fame in the future or whatever, if you want to you know, look at like Reed Duke, Andrea Mangucci, like all these people that have been putting up very, very good results over the last few years. And it's like, okay, well, they'll, they'll be enshrined in this thing and they will be labeled great at some point. But like, where, where is the line for greatness and where do you necessarily want that line to be? And I think those are two separate things. Right. There's a difference between perceived historical greatness and achieving your own greatness and your own greatness doesn't have to lie at the line of historical greatness. So maybe a lot of people are going to feel excluded from this conversation because, you know, they, they have already said to themselves, I can never be a Hall of Famer. I can never be an all-time great. Well, that's not this is what this is about. Being great comes in a lot of forms. And you can still achieve greatness without having that kind of universal praise heaped upon you. You can still find your optimal self in the world of magic, despite the fact that you may never be a hall of famer word. And I I think like you're a pretty reasonable example of that, right? Where it's like, you can say, you know, I am, I am one of probably the best players of all time. However you want to characterize that. Right. And before the show, we were talking about like numbers, like, is it 0.1%? Is it 1%? Is it five, 10? Like, what is it? Like, it doesn't matter. You have to set that line for yourself. It's about the ever-raising bar, which is another thing we talked about. You can just move that bar forever, right? Until you're the undisputed best at the world, best in the world at something, you're chasing that bar till the end of time. And then once you have set that bar so incredibly high, someone else is coming up right behind you and further raising that bar. So th- there's always going to be something else to chase. And I think finding a level of satisfaction that you define greatness at is key to the approach. You ha- you have to say, this is my goal. This is where I'm drawing that line. Yeah. And I mean, th- like, like you said, like that can change, right? It's like step one could just be like winning a PPTQ. Step two could be like queuing for the PT. Step three could be like cashing the PT, top eighting PT, whatever. Like you can continually move that line and achieve like your own sort of greatness. And I think that that's completely acceptable. Like at the end of the day, you're only accountable to yourself. Like, Maybe part of your self-worth is tied up on how others view you, which I think is completely normal and rational. But like ultimately, it should really only matter or just matter the most to you how, how much you're satisfied with your own results and your own progress. Right. And I think we've, I think we've touched on that before on the show where getting rid of how others are perceiving you as one of your main driving forces is so key to finding greatness. It's impossible to silence all those voices when you carry them around with you all the time. You need to have your own internal voice that you're answering to and and no voice but that internal voice. Yeah, and I, I think like once you are actually confident and and happy with that, like you you won't even necessarily hear what everyone else is saying, right? It's like I I mean, I, I think I'm a pretty reasonable example for this, where it's like the the most recent example, I guess, is I'm sitting down to like test my Mardu Pyromancer against like Blue Red Pyromancer matchup for uh, top eight of Pro Tour rivals, right? And Luis walks up to me and he's like, hey, you know what you would have to do in order to get for me, like get me to vote for you for Hall of Fame. And I'm like, no, man, what? Because I knew like, you know, some stupid joke was coming, right? Because it's Luis. And he said nothing. And then just kind of like ha ha and walked away or whatever. And it's like, 
see that that thing just like it kind of makes me upset because it's like I think that I am great and I think a lot of people maybe it was because of the Star City circuit so like it, it made me a lot more popular but then my pro tour results were bad so people were like oh this guy can only win on the SCG thing so like he's not very good right and it's like okay well I know what I'm capable of and the week before pro tour arrivals I wasn't worse than I am now, you know, like I am the same, I'm the same that I've been for like maybe a year or five years or whatever. Right. But it's like, Oh, suddenly I have this result. And now Luis is like, Oh, now I'm, I feel comfortable enough voting for you for like this, this line of greatness. Right. And it's just like, what the hell? Yeah. For me, it's just like, I am comfortable with where I am. And part of being comfortable means that I know exactly where I need to improve. Like Sam Stodd wrote this article a long time ago called the fearless magic inventory, which you've May, may or may not have heard of, like, if, if you've been following Magic for a long time, like, it is definitely cropped up here and there. People have brought it back, where it's just, like, you make a list of, like, all the things that you need to improve on. And as long as you are basically self-aware and always trying to learn and get better, like, that is the place where I want to be, you know? Like, that is kind of, like, my benchmark for greatness is, like, yeah, you have results, you are good, but, like, you also know that there's a bunch of stuff that you need to improve on. So you just said a very key two-word phrase, I think, when it comes to analyzing greatness, and that is self-aware. Yes. You know, I talked a little bit before about seeing greatness in a few forms. One thing that I find inescapable in, in high-achieving people, people who, are, who you know get to their goals, is a definite, definite pronounced self-awareness. And it manifests in so many ways. What's really interesting is that the, the best thing self-awareness brings to you is an understanding of how little you know, even when you are great. And I think you, I'm more comfortable talking about you in this area. Sure. I, I think by most metrics, everyone's going to accept you as, as an all-time great at the game. You're, you're getting to that point where you're going to be eventually enshrined in that pantheon. But I think that despite that, you're incredibly willing to learn. And you're incredibly willing to admit your mistakes and admit your faults and also seek out advice from every possible avenue, which is something I've always really respected about you. I mean, I, I can think back to just a, a few months ago where you were looking for some tips on Bogles before the Pro Tour. Yes. And I referred you, I referred you to a friend of mine, Seamus, who you had never spoken to before. I don't know if you've ever spoken to you. Did, you didn't know him all that well. But I told you this is a really smart guy. I think you should listen to what he has to say. And immediately, without asking for his credentials, without saying what has he done, what you know, why should I listen to him? You went, sought out his advice, and you were very pleasantly surprised by the input you got from him because you're willing to listen to just absolutely everything that's out there. His while I didn't end up playing Boggles, like his advice was incredible. Yeah, it, it, it was just like this person clearly knows what they're talking about. Like it, he he broke it down into things like very specifically. And was super articulate about everything. And I was just like, I know that this person knows his stuff and is someone that I should be willing to listen to. Right. And I think that there's a tendency in burgeoning magic players. And, and that's a lot of who this cast is directed at. That's really the prime audience. Someone who's trying to move to that next step and has potential to move to that next level. A lot of times they're very unwilling to take advice from anything but the optimal source, quote unquote, optimal source. What's Brad playing in standard this week? What's Jerry's new list? That's what they're interested in. That's where they think they need to go for information. 
Guys, if you're going to become a great at something, you need to be able to parse information and understand what information has value. Because when you're closing yourself off to information sources, you're not doing yourself any favors. So when people listen to this cast, I think that what they are doing is what you're describing, where it's like they're just trying to get information from other places. It, it They don't necessarily like have to blindly listen to us, you know, for like, oh, like right. this, this tokens deck is good. They're like, okay, noted, but like, I'm going to go do this thing, right? And I, I just love that because it means that like the listeners are people who are in the same position as me where, you know, they have varying degrees of skill levels, sure, but like, no matter what, they're always willing to listen. Like that's part of what makes the discord so awesome is that everyone is having like this reasoned discussion and like everyone wants to learn from everyone else. That's why it's good. Right. One of the things that this is kind of the opposite side of the coin here. I used to get very frustrated by the fact someone would ask me for my input. I'd give it to them and they'd kind of just come back with a reason why they were right in the first place. And and my input is is inappropriate and that would really frustrate me i hate that a a lot of the time a lot of the time it's just them wanting validation right right and and if but the thing is you can't let that affect you you know what i'm saying like it doesn't help your greatness to get frustrated by that like you've put out the information if they want to be contrarian that's fine but the problem is is not on your end it's it's their own inability to accept that advice and you should honestly just feel sorry for them that they're not willing to be open to a contrasting opinion and they just want their own validation right it just means that i'm very very less willing to give my time to that person in the future sure i think that's a fine approach to it the thing I, you get sometimes this still happens a little bit and this frustrates me sometimes. And, you know, maybe I should be more even, even keeled about it, but it's tough where you put out, say a deck list, you know, here's the deck I really like. Tell me why I should play this deck. Well, no, I don't have to tell you why you should play this deck. I'm I'm just proposing it. It's something I'm interested in. If you'd like to explore it, please feel free. I'm happy to discuss the deck with you. I'm happy to tell you, you know, what I think are its strong points, but that's very different from me having to sell you on my deck, you're welcome to disregard this information. And if it's not something you see merit in, please do move on, move on to your own thing, you know, expand the, the collaboration here. But, you know, asking someone that putting this burden of proof on them where they have to kind of sell you on a deck, I don't think that's how constructive uh, discourse works in the magic community. No. So uh, Grand Prix Vancouver earlier in 2017 was basically the only time in the history where I've seen Sam Black advocate that his teammates should play a certain deck. And he was like, guys, look, I don't do this. Normally I'm like, this is what I'm playing. Y'all do whatever you want. You know, like I'm just over here doing Sam Black things. But this time he was like, I'm playing this Jun Death Shadow deck and this deck is busted and you should all be playing it. He is very, very aware of like, how teams work in magic and how just like communication should work overall. Right. And it just so happened that like, it, it didn't take much convincing to get us to play like a thoughtsies deck that makes us feel smart or whatever in modern, but like he was right. As long as it's not like a boy who cried wolf situation, right? Like if Sam did that every tournament, like every time he registered hidden stockpile, it's just like, come on, man, like we're going to stop listening to you. But like the one time he actually, pulled out that card and was like, Hey, you guys should actually play it. Like he was absolutely correct. And I feel like I take that stance in a lot of my articles too, where it's like, this is the deck that I would be playing, but like, these are the things I know about it. And these are the things that would help you if you were also trying to play this deck, but like very rarely am I just like, this is the deck that you absolutely should be playing because that's not necessarily true. And I could be wrong. 
Right. I think there's kind of a perception that there's this implied contract where you're, when you're putting forth a deck list, you're vouching for its infallibility. And that's just not the case. A lot of times I know you're sharing deck lists, I'm sharing deck lists that are sketches of ideas that we want people to explore because we think they have potential or, or they may go somewhere. And that's part of finding your greatness is understanding what information is worth your time and what isn't and what to do with that information after you've received it. That's really a huge part of the battle. Right. And there are, there are people in the magic community who have like built up these reputations where it's like, all right, I want to play white weenie. Who do I go to? Like I go to Craig Wesco or whatever. Right. Like this, this is the person who is like the foremost expert on this. Like what version of this deck is he playing in this metagame and why? Because he's probably right. And certainly track record matters and where you value people on the greatness scale matters and everything. But like, yeah, like I, I want to, I want to be that person that when I say this is what you probably should be playing. That like people want to listen to that, and you, you just like can't call for that every time. So I try and be upfront about it, you know. Right, and this this is another point that really calls back to the successful people thing that I've seen across both fields. One thing that successful people always do is parse information very well. They know how to get to the the meat and potatoes, what they should actually be paying attention to. I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret. A lot of lawyering is Googling and Googling effectively. <laughs> There's a lot of bad Google results out there, but really good lawyers that. know how to- Dude, you don't see that on TV. You don't see them just like going ham Googling, right? It's like they're looking through files and then like, oh, inspiration hits them or whatever. I know uh, that they leave that part out. I mean, I mean, I'm simplifying. There's other resources beyond Google. Westlaw is a big one in the legal community, but it's it's basically dealing with a tremendous volume of information and properly filtering it down to the most essential parts. And that's what a participation in the magic community is. There's a million articles that come out every week. There's a million podcasts. There's a million people tweeting, and it's your job to decide what is important and how to best use that information. Yeah. And part of it is just like finding who has the best information. Right, right. That's a huge step one. So the thing that ultimately drives me and we'll, we'll come to the, the overarching theme of like drive and all that stuff at some point, but like this, this kind of ties in is just like, I want to find the truth. I don't care about anything else. I just want to know the truth. If I am playing a deck. So like, uh, these are the things that I've been thinking of lately. So we're going to talk about legacy here. I I want to play some sort of blue deck in legacy because that is what I like. That is not necessarily like the best deck for right now. Maybe it's all drawsy or storm or whatever. Who cares? I want to play a death rate shaman blue deck, right? So how do I beat Grixis Delver and like the four color check piles? I, I just want to find the truth about that. I could be like, Oh, you know, like this card looks fun and this card looks fun, but Ultimately, I want to find out like what matters, what can actually like swing the matchups. And, you know, for example's sake, like the, the, the major thing that I keep circling back to is like black cards because post board people have a lot of pyro blasts. And I think that black cards are the ones that don't run up against like pyro and hydro blast. So it's like, maybe it's slowly down on the last hope. Maybe it's like unearthing my Leovold. So like, no matter what, when they kill it, like I'm still going to get to draw a card and then Maybe I can like snap unearth the Leovold or whatever, right? And I, I just want to find the truth about those sorts of interactions and those sorts of things. And like that, that is what makes me want to filter through all this information is because like I know the truth is out there somewhere. And if I can't find it myself, maybe someone else has. And once I see the truth, I know it's the truth. 
That's a really interesting approach. So would you further, in this search for the truth, are you looking for a core principle? Are you looking for individual truths that combine into a deck? Like, one of my favorite things to do is looking looking for overarching themes of the format. And I think I was shaped in large part. I don't know if anyone out there is going to have this shared experience. This is probably calling back to like a 1995 issue of The Duelist when I was first getting introduced to magic and getting a peek into what competitive magic players did. There was an article by, I'll never remember who, I hope someone knows what I'm talking about. It was someone who was about to participate, I think in US Nationals. And he was talking about his prep for US Nationals and basically going over the things in the format that he cared about and, and what he was going to beat. He recognized strip mine was a problem in the format. He recognized lightning bolt was a problem in the format. Um, so he decides to play ghost ship in response to lightning bolt. And he plays lots of lands to be able to beat strip mine at a time when most people were playing like 18 or 19 <laughs> lands in their yeah. deck. He probably played like 22 and that was his lots of lands, but it just, you know, going back to these formative days, it forever shaped my process in trying to say, well, what does this entire format look like? And how do you just sidestep everything that's going on? For some formats, I think that is reasonable. Like standard, I think, is a, a format that is about that a lot of the time. And right. you can you can just like top down build a deck that is good against a lot of the stuff that you're talking about, you know? So it's like, oh, like the Scarab God's big and Hazaret's big and white go wide strategies. And like, we kind of talked about this a few weeks ago with like the pillars of the format, right? And maybe you can build a deck to beat all of those things. But a lot of the time, like you just can't either. So it's like, okay, well, can I build a version of one of the established good decks that also like takes some of this to heart where it's like, oh, maybe I have some stuff that makes me incidentally good against like the white go wide decks or something like that, right? And it just, mm. it depends on the format. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair assessment. It, it's very different depending on what type of magic you're playing. Uh, modern, I think, is a pretty good format for like, okay, what, what are the things that are happening? What sort of deck is just like naturally good against all of these things, right? Like when Grixis Death Shadow was the biggest deck or like the most uh, successful deck, maybe both. It was just like, okay, we'll play decks that have redundant cards. Like make their Thoughtseize into a Raven's Crime. Uh, what are some things that like Rixus Death Shadow struggles against? Like big creatures, right? Like Primeval Titan and mm. uh, things that just like incidentally attack their life total a lot. So like maybe burn, right? And it's just like those decks started cropping up. Like people would play them more because they had a good Grixis Death Shadow matchup, right? Right. And, and sometimes you can take like a broader swath of the format and kind of like target that. And I think that's kind of like what made Mardu Pyromancer so successful for me in, in Pro Tour Rivals. You, you can't necessarily take the same approach to every tournament, but having those different things in your uh, utility belt or whatever, like different things that you can pull out and use, I think is just going to be helpful where it's just like, okay, like how do I want to attack this format? Like, and having those skills at your disposal, like that is, that is a form of greatness for sure. Right. Having a, a well, uh, a well, well sculpted utility belt, the right tool for each of these different, you know, forms of metagames, I would say. I mean, this is this is more specifics, but I guess I want to talk about some specifics anyway. But say I sit down to tackle GP Seattle, which is standard and legacy. It's like, all right, legacy, I like these cards and I want to play with them. That's just what I'm going to do. And it's like, maybe my goal isn't necessarily to win the tournament because I have no idea what it would even take for me to win the tournament. Like, I haven't played legacy maybe since GP Columbus last year. 
You know, it, right. it is it has been a very long time. I kind of passively follow the format and everything, but I don't know how to attempt to tackle legacy outside of just like making a blue deck that is very, very good against other blue decks, which has just kind of like been my MO in legacy anyway. You know, so that is like the one thing I have in my utility belt that I can actually utilize. And would I be a better and more well-rounded legacy player if I had more things, like more tools at my disposal? Absolutely. Right. But I don't. So that is that is kind of what I'm going to do. And that's that's what I'm good at. Right. So like Wesco has white decks. Right. He's going to stick to his shtick and sometimes it's going to work. Sometimes it won't. But like that is giving him the best chance to succeed. And in the meantime, what I'm supposed to be doing is like passively working on these other skills. But for legacy, I just don't see it as valuable because there aren't that many tournaments. You know, it sounds to me like you are being very honest with yourself. Weird. Uh, Right. Which I think is a fine segue into the maybe next point in our greatness map. Inescapable honesty is so essential to growth as a magic player, to growth as in, in anything that you're attempting to be great at. Growth is a human, period. Right. I will tell you that if you and I are interacting and you're recalling a story to me and something about your story it raises some alarm bells as far as accuracy. It seems like maybe, you know, this doesn't comport with, well, why would you have done this if, if this card was actually in their hand? Um, and you go, oh, no, 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 actually he had this card. I start worrying about your honesty. Uh, and, and I start questioning whether you actually have that true drive to be great. I have someone in my life who I'm very close to who I think has a tremendous amount of potential as a Magic player where he ever to devote himself to the game. But he's so kind of... He's so blinded by his desire to appear like he is already good that he's unwilling to own up to mistakes he's making and hides them with dishonesty. Mm-hmm. He'll you know, say a game state is different than it was. And I, and I think all of us have had this experience talking to someone where you know, they're telling you a story and you're like, that just doesn't quite check out. Guys and gals, if you're doing this, you're, you're, harm, you're harming no one but yourself. You're, you're not accomplishing anything. The opinion of the person you're telling the story to is not what's important. What's important is meaningful feedback you can get from relaying your tale. And if you're altering the situation from the beginning, what kind of meaningful feedback can you possibly get? There's just no nugget of truth there to mine down to, to, to really honestly evaluate your play. So, you know, you're talking about honesty in evaluating your skill set. Also, an incredibly important point of honesty, something that I think I started to do a very good job with as I moved on in my magic career, you know, really finding points where my skill set was well utilized, finding methods of attacking formats that a lot of people wouldn't find because I think it was the best way for me to attack that format as opposed to maybe just anyone in the world. I was honest with my own limitations and what I can bring to the table successfully. And it yielded very, very positive results. So, I mean, what's kind of been your experience with honesty? How key do you think it is to becoming great at something? Well, I think it's huge because if you are trying to become great, if you do have this drive and this passion to succeed, uh, like learning is a big part of it. And if you're not being honest with yourself or others, like it definitely stifles that. And for this person that you're talking about, it seems like, yeah, you know, they are jumping through hoops to make themselves appear less negative or like less bad than they think that they are. But in actuality, no one cares. Right. You, you lose a match and I say, Hey, what happened? You're like, Hey, I, you know, I think I messed up or whatever. If you tell me that instead of like, Oh, I got mana screwed. 
in either situation, I I still think of you as Brian, right? Like mm-hmm. at no point am I like, oh man, you messed up. Like you're awful. Don't talk to me anymore. And especially like if, if someone is going to have that reaction to you, you don't want to hang out with that person. So like, why do you care? Right. They're not bringing anything to the table anyway. This is, it, it, it's so pervasive in the magic community. I wonder what we've kind of done to enable it. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just raw human nature and we're just seeing it reflected in the magic. It community, is. But I, I don't know. I don't feel like I see it as much in other aspects of my life. I feel like, you know, when I'm sitting down in a meeting at my job and we're, we're talking through an approach to, to a case and a lawyer has maybe missed something, they'll often say, oh, I haven't considered that yet. Or I'll have to look into that. It, it's not as much, well, I was doing this, so I didn't do this. You know what I mean? It's, it's, maybe, a, it's a lot less covering up. Dude, maybe it's because you're a lawyer. Because, like, I have a bunch of friends who, you know, work at, like, less prestigious jobs or whatever. And that those are the stories that they complain to me about, you know? It's just like, oh, like, this person, like, you know, did this. And they just like made this absurd excuse. Like they, they just try and like pass the blame on to someone else rather than just like taking full responsibility for it. Well, I guess I'm maybe I'm identifying another trait of successful people. You know, in general, the people I work with are intelligent, successful people. So, so maybe this is another point of greatness that we're just seizing on is that great people just don't do this. They don't make narratives to justify their failures. They acknowledge them, they learn from them, and they move forward. Right. And yeah, I don't know, just take responsibility for your actions, like both good and bad. Like you did this, you made this choice. And regardless of like what caused you to make this choice or like what your thought process was, whether you win or lose, like it is something to possibly be learned from. Right. Like, so my, my roommates are are dating Andrew and Laura, and they, they have this excellent dynamic where like, they basically are incapable of getting mad at the other person. Like if something happens where as long as like the other person's thought process was sound, it's like, how could you possibly get mad at them? You know, it's like, oh, with the information you had, you made these decisions that makes complete sense, right? People generally get frustrated when it's like, oh, this is not the outcome that I, I expected you to, to do in this situation. Like I'm now mad at you, but it's like, if you stop and think about their thought process, it's like how they came to that conclusion makes complete sense, right? So yeah, like it, not only are they just like, oh yeah, I know that th- this is the right way to do things. Like they are just actually incapable of being upset at each other over it. Yeah, it sounds like empathy. I mean, it's, it's just self-awareness extended outside of your yes. body and your ability to to put your self-awareness in someone else's shoes as well as your own. Uh, empathy is right up there with the same characteristics. I, I do think successful people often have empathy. Are there successful like sociopaths? Absolutely. They certainly exist. Yeah, but like they I, I feel like they probably didn't get there like in, in the right way. You know, it wasn't like all on the up and up necessarily. It's like they probably had to like, or they probably got to walk over some people to like get to where they are, right? Throw some other people under the bus or whatever. Sure, sure. And and I hope that if you're a listener of our cast, that's not your MO, right? I, I, I'd like to think of our people as the people who won't be walking over other people to achieve their goals. They want to do it on their own merits. But you're, you're right. They take a different path than we're talking about. They're not looking to optimize their own processes. They're willing to trample other people to get to where they're going to go. Right. Um, I think I want to mention a little corollary to honesty because I see it extended too far quite often. People will use honesty as a way to opt out of viable deck choices saying, oh, that's just outside my range or I'm not capable of doing that. 
I, I get it. Like, I, I really do understand the fear of, you know, oh, I'm going to my first pro tour and I don't want to take on so-and-so in a control mirror match. Dude, testing for worlds. What? No, testing for worlds this year. Martin didn't play our blue black control deck because he was like, I don't want to play against Shota in a control mirror. Yep. I remember we talked about that on a previous episode. This is Martin Juza. This is by far one of the best players in the world. And he's just like, oh, no, I'd, I'd, I'd probably play it bad or whatever. And it's just like, come on, man. But like, yeah, obviously the flip side of that is true where it's like part of the fear of me saying that stuff about like legacy and blue decks and blah, blah, blah is like, what if I'm just using that as an excuse to like play the cards that I want? Hmm. Right. Like certainly I, a valid concern. I, I enjoy casting brainstorm and maybe brainstorm is horrendous, but I'm like, oh, I only know how to play blue decks. And it's just like, yeah, I can, I can make a bunch of excuses. I can do that. Like I am, I am very good at doing that. Whether or not like I actually try to do that in my like regular day-to-day life or whatever just depends on the situation and everything. But like, I know that I'm doing it generally. Mm -hmm. I guess one of the points I want to make is that if you're going to kind of take that approach to your first GP or your first pro tour, but you're at the same time trying to achieve greatness I mean, what are you really doing? What are you really accomplishing? If you're saying, I can't do this as well as this person right off the gun smoke, you're not even giving it a try. You're just disqualifying yourself. I'm not going to be able to do this. Why bother? Well, how are you going to be great? How are you going to prove yourself at the highest level if you don't give yourself a chance to go toe to toe with, you know, the people who are already there on an even playing field? If you're saying, I'm not going, I'm not willing to play that game. I, it doesn't interest me because I don't think I can do it that well. Well, what's the end result of your pro tour career? You're that guy who doesn't do it very well, but somehow still found the uh, utmost success. That doesn't really make any sense. You're not constructing a valid narrative. At some point, you just have to be good you're not going to skate by on gimmicky deck choices if your goal is to establish a long and successful pro tour career so why not start now what i always tell people is that they should not necessarily be like testing those things or trying to improve those things in a tournament setting because like ultimately the tournaments do matter and like winning matters for whatever reason maybe it's pro points maybe it's money maybe it's accolades pro tour invites whatever right like you should stick to whatever you think has the best chance to win you the tournament. And then in your downtime, whether it's like local, smaller tournaments that don't matter as much magic online, play testing, whatever, that is when you should be trying to improve those skills and like branch out, widen your range, et cetera. Yeah. I just don't know. It's like, I get everyone's circumstances are different, but for me personally, I never play more magic than when I'm leading into a pro tour. That is when I play the absolute most magic. That's where a huge amount of my learning is done a huge amount of my improvement is done mostly by playing against myself. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more, but what better time is there to become comfortable with the deck than in this process? And, you know, it's not many times where a deck is going to complete where if you're a pro tour quality player, I don't think that if you're spending two weeks testing for the pro tour, you're not going to be able to play a deck on a a high enough level to compete. Um, just because it's something different than you usually play. I think you can find you you can find time to play enough games where you're like, oh, okay, I see how this matchup plays out right now. Or if you can't, you have to really question your capacity for greatness, I think. And that, that's a hard, harsh thing to say. But given the time, I think you kind of have to say, if I have the time to commit to this matchup, I can learn it. If you have no time, you're dealing with a different set of circumstances. I get that. 
But if you're going to be putting in the hours prior to a pro tour and still saying, well, I'm not even going to bother with this control deck because it's outside my range. That's crazy. Talk to me. I, I don't think you can justify that and still see yourself as a potentially great pro tour player. Well, maybe, maybe we should shift the narrative towards like, these are things that matter or things that you should be trying to do if you are actually trying to achieve like pro tour greatness. If that, if that is your, if that is your end goal, right? Cause it's like, Basically everything you say, I could come back with like, oh, well, you know, it depends on what their goals are, right? Like maybe they just want to like exactly. money, money the pro tour, or maybe they want to go 50-50 or whatever. But yes, if you are absolutely trying to win, then you should put in the time to like test this deck and test the matchups. If you think that the deck is actually, you know, the, the best chance, assuming you would pilot it correctly. But like time is is a big thing. Like time is maybe the most most scarce resource right now. Like Again, this is another thing we talked about a little bit before the cast, but like basically all these businesses that pop up that are incredibly successful are just ways to sell time back to you, like Uber. You know, like Uber, it, it just saves you so much time compared to like, you know, having to park your own car or like call for a taxi or walk or take the train or whatever. Like that is why that business is successful. It is convenient and it gives you more time. And if you don't have time to commit, to being a great pro tour player, you know, like you find yourself in Brian's shoes, for example, where you have wifey and job and all this other stuff, then like you, you have to find a way to make it work to the best of its capability. Like you might not have as much time as you would want, but you definitely have time and you need to figure out how to use that time as, as well as you possibly can. Right. Um, you know, one of the things I mentioned is that Time is the only finite resource there actually is. Um, it, it's the only thing you you can't get more of because with enough time, you can pretty much accomplish anything. I, I think that you're exactly right that all of this has to shift with goals. And, and it's kind of one of the problems with allowing greatness to move on a scale. But I, I think rightfully so. I think that's the right way to talk about it. But a lot of people are going to see greatness as pro tour success. That's kind of... yes the assumption of, of our audience and, and what they're looking towards. And I think in that regards, one of the big things for maximization of time is letting magic consume your thought process. And what I mean by that is that it's not as simple as just thinking about deck lists all the time or thinking about matchups all the time. I think there's something even deeper that you want to reach to. You want to be, you know, I talked to Jerry about synesthesia which is, if you're not familiar with it, it's a phenomenon where you kind of cross your senses up and, and you feel things that you should smell or you, uh, you know, tasting colors is a very popular one that people talk about. But I've experienced magic synesthesia where I'm, I'm so, my thought process at all times of the day is so committed to magic that like I'll parallel park my car and be like, oh, that felt like making a perfect set of blocks, which I understand makes no sense whatsoever. But the process of playing games of magic is so ingrained in my day-to-day -day life, my day-to-day -day thought patterns, that it's starting to manifest in other non-magic areas. So what does that mean as far as, as, as maximizing time? I think that it means that any downtime should be spent uh, thinking through matchups, thinking through important cards in the format, thinking of past games you've played and points where they could have turned. Other time optimizations, I mean, my biggest one, I, I keep coming back to this. I always tell people this. I play both sides of a matchup. I boot up Cockatrice. I load two decks. I play both sides. Generally, what I'm doing, if, if there's a deck I'm 
testing because I believe it to be good. I'll play as if the other side of the matchup has perfect information against that deck. And I force myself to be honest, again, one of the tenants we've already talked about, and play in such a fashion as I would if I didn't know the opponent's hand. This is difficult and it's not easy to do, but I think in doing so, you quickly gain an understanding of both sides of a matchup that you simply couldn't get without, you know, infinite time and time to jam all these matchups over and over. So I don't know, what other time maximizations do you use in your your testing processes? So I did the the double-fisted testing when, like Mm -hmm. a long time ago, and like even somewhat recently, like I've I've done that stuff, like even just like, you know, sitting down and gold fishing or whatever, like as long as you are doing something when you could be doing nothing, right? It's like how how many people probably just like sit down and like veg out, watch a TV show, like go through Facebook or Reddit or whatever, then are just like, oh man, I don't know what to play at my my RPTQ this weekend. You know, it's just like, what, right. what are you doing? Like figure out ways to multitask, I think is a thing that has helped me a lot where it's like uh, the, the show that I've been watching somewhat recently was the Americans and it's, it's like fine enough if I just have it on in the background while I'm also writing an article or looking at deck lists or building decks or whatever. It's like, I get to do this thing. That's like kind of entertaining while also just thinking about magic. And then sometimes I'll be like, you know, who, who is that character? Like, I don't remember them from the last episode or whatever, because like I was so honed in on something, but like, it's not, it's not a big deal if you don't get like the full experience from this TV show. And like, obviously there are, some things like uh, the X-Men show Legion that was on FX uh, last year sometime, I was just like, this this show needs my full attention because otherwise I have no idea so what the hell is going on, right? Yeah, it was so good. Yeah, can't wait for season two. Anyway, that that was like the, the one show, right? But it's like if you have like these guilty pleasure TV shows, treat them like that. You know, like they're not as important as this other stuff. Like if you if you truly want to be successful – on this other avenue or whatever, like prioritize it, prioritize it like how it should be on like how much of a, like the scale of importance it is to you. Right. And right. that's, that's just kind of like where I've been with my life, you know? And I, I guess like the, the overarching thing that I do want to get across, and I'm going to say this now in case I forget to say it is that like, I do not think that I have a natural ability to play magic or understand games or whatever. Like, I, I was taught all of this stuff or I learned all of this stuff. And maybe you could say that I am very good at learning, which like may or may not even be true. But like I've had these conversations with like Raptor, right? Where I'm just like, yo, I'm not I'm not naturally gifted at this game. And then he was just like, well, I think you're like pretty good at this and pretty good at this. And I, I eventually decided that I think I'm I'm just like pretty good at learning. And maybe it takes a while, but like I am eventually capable of understanding things and systems, right? But I think basically everyone has that. And maybe you move at like a faster pace or a slower pace or whatever. But yeah, basically like what I'm saying is I granted I have spent a lot of time, like over 15 years playing magic to like get to where I am and everything. But certainly like a lot of that time was also spent horribly, you know? So I, I also mm. did not start out like knowing how to spend my time very well and the, the types of things that I should be trying to focus on and trying to learn. And there certainly wasn't like this incredible amount of information back in the early 2000s that there is now, right? Like people become like an average magic player way faster than back in 2000. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Anyway, takeaway for me is that if you want to be in my position, I do truly believe that it is capable of happening. Maybe time is a factor or like family is a factor or situation, you know, like certainly like living in the US was a, a huge thing for me because there was just like a lot of tournaments and everything and like a good network of people and all this stuff. But like all of these things are things that you can learn how to do and learn how to do well and certainly do some of them better than me. One of the questions I find we get all the time is people asking, you know, I, I just qualified for the RPTQ. What should I be doing with my time now? I, I already did this this season, kind of achieve my goals. What should I be doing the rest of the time? And my answer is always the same. I can't answer that. I, I mean, I don't know what your priorities are, what you're trying to accomplish in, in life, in magic, in your relationships. There's always a balancing act that has to go on. I will say though, and I have to believe that of almost any magic player who you could define as great, this is going to be true. There have been periods in my life where my relationship with magic was absolutely obsessive, where I was playing 14 hours a day and it was the literal only thing I was thinking about. I mean, this is kind of an awful story, but I remember, I, I think it was the first girlfriend I ever lived with, probably when I was like 18 or 19, and Magic Online had just come out at that, at that yeah. point. Yeah. And I literally just played Magic Online until one day I just found her crying in the living room. She's like, you haven't talked to me in like three days. And I, I, this is a horrible thing to say. I feel terrible saying this now, but I didn't even realize it at the time. All I cared about was just Magic Online and playing more Magic. I mean, have you found this obsessiveness in yourself throughout your Magic career? Maybe not. I'm not saying this is an everyday thing. In fact, at this point, it's very far from the truth. It, it's you know kind of moved back in my priority list. But to kind of reach the point where I was able to have some success and able to achieve a lot of my goals, it was born of obsession without a doubt. And I think greatness is almost always born of obsession. Yeah, man. So I went to a GP in Milwaukee in 2002 and I was talking to some of my friends who I knew from like the local card store who happened to be there. And I was just like, you know, I, I, I want to get better. I want to do this and that, whatever, but like I need people to play against. And they're just like, why don't you just get magic online? I'm just like, wait, what? Like <laughs> I didn't know that that was a thing. Right. So I got magic online and at the time I was still living with like my mom and stepdad and stuff. And Yes, I remember playing like eight hours a day. I was thinking like, man, I only even played like eight hours a day, like 14, like you're a monster, you know, but like definitely during those other six, like I was thinking about magic. Right. I, I think that I might have like an addictive personality. Like, I don't know if scientifically that's actually a thing, but if there is something I enjoy doing, I will just, I, I am capable of doing it and literally nothing else. Yes, yeah, same. So, you know, you read about like Starcraft players who like, or World of Warcraft players who like forget to eat for five days and die, you know, like it happens rarely, but the fact that it happens is just like fairly alarming, you know? It is. It's crazy what our brains can kind of commit to. Look, I'm not, I'm certainly not trying to present this as a virtue. I think there's a lot of problematic things that come with it. And if you've, you know, where this conversation all started, if you've seen the movie Whiplash uh, the lead character kind of like has a burgeoning relationship that he seemed to care about. But as his obsession with becoming a better drummer takes over, he's just like, look, this is not going to go anywhere because drumming will come first. There's 
points in my magic career where I absolutely the same thing <laughs> was something I probably should have said in the first place rather than let things devolve to the point that they did. So I'm not advising this approach to become good, but I don't know. You have to have some capacity to like just let this thing consume you to to be like, this is what I care about. And there was another point too where I did this. And it was before I played, I knew I was going to my first ever GP. And I kind of told my wife, like, look, I, I'm really into this. I think I want to see what I can do in, in terms of magic. And she was just my girlfriend at that time. We weren't married yet. Um, I'm like, are you cool with me just kind of like diving into this right now, committing everything? And she said, yeah, if that's what you want to do, go for it, which is the more mature way to actually handle the situation. Right. But I did. And I, I was I remember I was playing Jund Mirrors like, again, 12 hours a day and just completely focused on becoming good at magic. I went to the GP. I qualified for the Pro Tour at my first GP. It was a time when I was like, this is what I care about more than anything. It's going to be my absolute priority. If you're not in a position to do that and you feel like it's weighing on you, I don't know how to answer that question. Like, I, I think we only get one life to live and we kind of owe it to ourselves to suss out all these feelings we have. So if you have this feeling where like, I will never be complete if I don't go super hard into magic for a period and, or I'll never know myself if I don't allow myself to see how deep I can get into magic. You know, I'm not telling you to leave your job, but you have to consider, can you set yourself up in a situation where maybe you can devote some time to it and, and you can explore what you're capable of doing just because if you don't, I think it's always going to weigh on you a little bit. I have a friend who's great at poker. He's, he's made a lot of money, you know, throughout his life playing poker but he's never committed to the point where he leaves his job because he has a very good, uh, you know, multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars a year job that doesn't require a huge amount of effort. And he's like, I just can't. He's like, I can't bring myself to walk away from this when I know in my heart, all, all I want to be doing is playing poker. And everything points to the fact that he would be a very successful poker player. Um, but he can't bring himself to the full-time commitment. And I worry sometimes. I worry if he's going to kind of wear that throughout the rest of his life and say, well, what if I just went for it? This is my passion and I totally walked away from it. So it's always hard. It's always hard to to kind of answer those questions for yourself. I wish I had an easy answer. It's just something you have to really evaluate your options and, and see what you're capable of. Yeah. I mean, it, a lot of it is priorities and goals and where you want to be and just like setting yourself up so that you can succeed in, in those things, you know, like say you are in a relationship and you want to play magic, but you know that like playing 14 hours a day is obviously not going to leave much time for your relationship. It's like, well, what is more important, right? Like it's obviously not fair for you to go all in on magic and then not spend time with this other person or whatever. But like there, there are compromises to me to mm -hmm. be made, you know, S sleep less, you know, do you need nine hours of sleep? No, like maybe, maybe you need six some nights or whatever. Like I, I think sleep and just general entertainment are the two things where people could come up with a lot more time. Yeah. If, if you actually care and you're like, magic is important to me, like there are sacrifices you can make, but if you are not willing to sacrifice and you also want to just be like, Oh, well, you know, I'm not very satisfied with where I am in magic or how far I'm progressing or at whatever, you know, clip I'm progressing, whatever. If you're also not willing to sacrifice, then you need to readjust your goals. Right. That's a very good way of putting it. And also it's important to acknowledge that I understand that a lot of what I'm saying right now, if someone from outside the magic community was listening to it, 
they if they think we sound bonkers, we're talking about deprioritizing your loved ones and possibly giving up careers so you can pursue uh, a game that doesn't have very lucrative careers attached to it for the most part. Only the very absolute elite get to really make any money off the game. You can figure out how to make money. Oh, for sure. I'm, look, I'm I'm not saying it's impossible. That's not my. That's not the purpose of this. I will. I'm just trying to make clear that, especially to people outside of this community, when you're talking about leaving potentially lucrative jobs just so you can see if you have what it takes to cut it on the pro tour, a lot of people aren't going to understand that. And again, calling back to the premise of our cast. Those people will never yeah, be they great. They can't be great. They, they just don't get it. And, uh, you know, in the movie, the lead character has an experience where he's kind of sitting at dinner with a bunch of people who lack the capacity to be great and they don't understand his his drive or, or really anything about what he's trying to do. He's just a drummer. It, it, it's not possibly meaningful. But to him, having the approval of this teacher means the absolute world. Just like to you, making the Pro Tour means the absolute world. And a lot of people aren't going to understand that. So you have to kind of have this inner faith, this inner belief in yourself that what you're doing is the right thing. That's going to push you through a lot of these hard times where people around you may not understand exactly what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a, a big part of this is just like, how how much of a drive do you have? And where does it come from? And for me, it's, it's just kind of like background quest progress, I guess. Like, I'm playing a lot of games on my phone, just like Shadowverse and Eternal and stuff like that. And they always have like these things that are going on in the background where it's just like deal your opponent a million damage and you get like 100 gold or whatever. And it's like, whenever I hit one of those things, I feel good. There's like the the dopamine release or whatever that makes me super happy about this thing. And for magic, it's like kind of the fearless magical inventory stuff where I have going on in the background where it's like, well, I I could be better at this. I could be better at this. I could be better at this. Right. And it's just like, I have that drive to just be better and like learn these things. Like this is a thing that I think that I'm capable of doing. And I, if I'm going to do it, I don't want to do it half-assed just straight up like that. That is not, how I want to do anything. I don't think I can do anything casually. Yeah, I struggle with that sometimes. Um, occasionally, I make inroads on casual pursuits, but uh, I get the issue. There's a lot of things that I've given up in my life because I'm like, I can never be great at this. I was like an okay guitar player. I taught myself how to play by ear, but I'm like, I'm I, what am I doing this for? I would listen to someone who's actually great and be like, this is so far from where I'm at. What am I going to push through? I, I don't feel like I have the capability to be great at this. And I, and I play much less guitar these days than I used to. It, it's, yeah. a, it's a hard way to approach life. It leads to a lot of super narrow focus. But again, that's that's kind of what greatness is, is this very narrow focus. Um, you talked about your your background quest progress. It's interesting how I think we kind of diverge in the goals we're trying to achieve. To me, I want to convince myself that I'm capable if I pursued it to the end of like reaching the elite level. But I don't actually force myself to reach that elite level. And maybe that's a failing in myself. Like it, it could be a type of fear um, where I'm like not willing to commit and actually see if I can complete the quest and, and get to the end of the bar. Or it could just- It seems like a defense mechanism to me. Sure. It, it absolutely could be. I'm acknowledging that possibility. Um, you know, I look at it a lot as balance. I, I think I, I do think balance can be a good thing, but it's hard sometimes because in that pursuit of balance, it feels like I'm fighting against myself a lot where there is something I should just be like, well, what am I being balanced for? Why don't I just move all in on this thing? 
Because you, you have a, you have a wife, you have a job, like you have other time commitments. That's that's true, but I also uh, I'm I'm blessed with a very good strong relationship where we encourage each other to pursue the things we're passionate about and and pursue goals that we really want to achieve. And if if I met, went to my wife today and was like, look, I'm going to push to be a platinum pro next year. I'm traveling to every GP. Can we make that work? She's she's going to support me. I know that. Part of that is that I also don't want to overutilize that trust and put her in a difficult position because I'm out, you know, chasing a, a magic dream. So it's it's complicated. There are a lot of wrinkles to it. Well, part of, part of the reason you you guys probably have that trust is because you're not a crazy person. You know, you're not right. like you're not just going to be like, oh, I'm going to go from zero to platinum, baby. Just watch me because it's like e- even the end result for for that. It, it's like, okay, you know, you get like 20K from being platinum, right? right? right. Like you're going to spend that much going to all these GPs. Like you need, you need a better plan in place. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, that's part of responsibility and maybe uh, again, another defense mechanism, I, even, even though it's logical and it's a useful defense mechanism. I mean, look, defense mechanisms exist for a reason. Um, they're there to ensure right. our survival to some extent and, and to make sure we're able to kind of live comfortably but greatness is achieved by risks a lot of the times. There's there's no getting around that. And you have to just decide your risk threshold. How much risk can you bear to take on? Well, for me, I was just always doing this. And it was hella risky, but that was just kind of like how I lived my life for a while. Right. So, right. <laughs> yeah, like your, your situation, this whole defense mechanism thing kind of like strikes me as one of those situations where it's unclear as to whether or not like, you're being honest or making excuses, you know? And it's like, only you know the answer to that, right? Right, right. And I, I don't think I do know the answer to that, actually. I, I, I honestly don't know. Well, if if you told me that you, like, you honestly felt that that was the truth, then I would believe you. And it's like, you're saying it. And, like, there's there's a reason I brought you on the podcast. Like, I asked you to to be the the new co-host is because, like, we, we share a lot of similar traits with like the honesty and everything. It's like, I don't, I don't think that you're BSing me or BSing yourself. You know, like I, I do believe that you are just, you have a strong, like rational head on your shoulders and you're like, this is the thing that makes the most sense. And here are the reasons why mm-hmm. that's also what makes you good at magic and have a capability of greatness too, you know? Right. Being able to, to problem solve in that nature and, you know, figuring out proper times for risk. It, it all translates. Yeah, for sure. Man, what else? We got we got a bunch of other stuff that maybe we're not going to get to. I know one of the things I I wanted to touch on was progress and I I said a little I guess a little saying that I try and live my life by that I think is maybe worth sharing real quick. I think you need to love who you are right now and hate who you were 10 minutes ago. And so what that means is having this huge belief in yourself and you know, who you are right now is the best person you can be and you have this capability and you can go forward. But when you look back at who you were 10 minutes ago, you're embarrassed that you were ever that person. Um, you want to be so much more than that. You want to evolve. You need to learn every day. I mean, like, it's hard for me to envision a person who's successful, 
who isn't just completely ashamed of who they were five years ago or 10 years ago. I think about the way I acted, the way I conducted myself, the things I said, the things I did, and it's just all so cringy to me. It feels horrible because I've tried to grow as a person and as a magic player. I, I think about articles I wrote five years ago or you know, podcasts I did five years ago, and I hope I've come to a much better place, and I believe I've come to a much better place, but also I'm damn sure I'm going to make sure that when I listen to this podcast a year from now, I'm embarrassed by it. And that's not to say what I'm doing right now isn't great, but if I'm not continuing to evolve, what am I here for? Like I I need to constantly be getting better all the time. And that's a, a huge, a huge step on your pursuit of greatness. You can't be satisfied with who you are at any point. Yeah. I I think that's a really good way of putting it too, because yeah, I I certainly think back at like past moments in my life and just embarrassed for like ways I've acted and things that I've done and right. You know, like what my motivations were and everything. And it's just like, I I wish I want to go back and like fix everything. And that isn't just about like my relationships or anything like that. It's also just like, if I go back and like read old articles, I just want to edit. Them, right, right. Right. Like I, I am, I am like actually upset that they exist on the internet I know. because someone might click on them at some point. It's just like that. That's like the perfectionist slash great mindset. And I, I talked about this a lot in social currency, which is I think my best article and y'all should Google that if you have not read that already. And I'm sure at some point I'm going to go back and look at that and be like, yeah, this, this was awful. I could have written this so much better. You know, like what the hell was I doing? Right. And it's just, it's just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm never satisfied, uh, which is both a blessing and a curse. You know, like I, I am kind of envious of like the TV caricatures of just like, you know, person who uh, has like some awful nine to five job and like, you know, marries a person he doesn't like and like has kids and like, that's, that's the end of their life or whatever. But it's like, if, if they are like legitimately happy doing that, like I am envious because I'm just like never satisfied and basically never happy. Like the bar is always moving. I don't know. Like when I was a kid, it's just like, uh, well, I'm kind of broke. How much money would I need to have to be happy? It's like, uh, five grand. And then it's like, okay, I get five grand in my bank account. And then it's like, ah, well, maybe the number's 10 grand, you know? And it just keeps moving. And that was the exact same thing that happened with me and Magic, where it's like, I want to win a local tournament. I do that. I go to a PTQ, and then it's like, well, I want to win one of these. So I do that and get to the Pro Tour. And then it's like, well, I want to do well at the Pro Tour. So then that happens. And it's like, there's always stuff to be achieving, even if it's not like, you know, you don't necessarily feel like you're getting better or vice versa. Like maybe you're not achieving the results you want, but you feel like you're getting better and improving. Mm. Like there's, there's always stuff like that, that you could be doing better. And I don't know, just like being complacent and being satisfied or uh, just being like, Oh, I, I know everything or I don't necessarily need to practice or test or anything because like I'm good enough. It's just like, it's just not true. Right. The end. Right. Yeah. It's uh, again, that's something I default to a lot is, Oh, I don't test. And it's not because I don't think I can benefit from testing. It's that in as far as maximizing time, I don't feel like I can fit that into my schedule, um, but that's part of like not being able to chase optimal greatness. If you're going to chase your optimal greatness, you need to have an optimal strategy and optimal usage of your time. There's really no room for half measures. Basically, you need to find your obsession, lean into it, 
and let it consume you, which is a really scary thing to do. And it's, it's not even a lot of times going to be good life advice. It's going to lead to pain and suffering and failure, but where you want to chase greatness, uh, we, we pay a high cost. Yeah, I, I agree completely, but I don't know. At the end of the day, it's like, I'm, I'm at a point where I am happy with the things that I have achieved and I'm happy with the content that I produce and everything. And I'm, I'm certainly happy with like the relationships I have and how I interact with the community and everything like that. But like, I also know that there's like so much else that I need to be doing better. And that, that just kind of like drives me to keep going. I'm, I'm a little bit more confident, you know, like, well, certainly me compared to like 15 years ago, but just like, I'm like a little more outgoing, like a little more sure of myself. And like, if I had not pursued magic in the way that I did, like these things would not exist. Right. Like sure. it, it's possible. It's possible that I would just be like a more miserable, like more sad human, you know, but like, I'm, I'm pretty happy, honestly, Yeah, you know, like things, things are good. Yeah. Your obsessions have paid out. And, uh, you know, I think that there was a lot of time where you were probably paying a high cost, but it got you to a point where you were able to kind of live out your dreams and do the things you really wanted to do. And it's, it's a pretty awe-inspiring thing to see. That's why people chase greatness is to get to kind of the point you're sitting at right now. You know, not to heap accolades on you because I know you believe you have a lot more to do and uh, a lot more to accomplish, but yeah, this is this is the payoff stage. You're you're getting the payoff right now. Yeah, I mean, I I would I would consider the payoff stage to have been going on for a, a oh, while wow. now. Actually, sure. yeah, I mean, like uh, unless you want to talk about like specifically like pro tour stuff, right? That I think that's a good separation because it's like I've I've made this into a reasonable career, and that has been going on for quite a while. But as far as like pro tour success, like yeah, that's that's something that is happening now, and it's as a result of me just like hyper focusing in on all the stuff that I was doing poorly, like all the mistakes I was making and just trying to figure out how to fix it. Right. Right. And, you know, to be honest, I kind of see my focus, my drive, my obsession starting to turn to this, this podcasting thing, this broadcasting thing, maybe this focus on content creation. I really like doing this a lot. Um, I think, I think it's good for me as a person to kind of get my ideas out there and it's also just a lot of fun. Like I look forward to coming and talking about this stuff every day. So I'm starting to see my obsessions turn in this direction a little bit. It'll be interesting to see where things go with that, how hard I lean into it going forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I always cared about like tournament results, not like, oh man, like I, I really want to do this. But it's just like, yeah, at the end of the day, if I if I win a pro tour or whatever, like awesome. You mm-hmm. know, like that that does actually feel good. But my goals have also changed to where, you know, like I, I basically want to teach and yeah, I don't think that I've necessarily achieved greatness. Like there's a lot of things that I, I want to still do. And some of that we talked about last week with like the knowledge base and everything, but like, yeah, I like, this is, this is just like another thing where it's like, it's magic related. And this is a thing that I can kind of obsess over and then I can help other people. And instead of like focusing on my results and my tournament finishes, like, whenever someone's just like, oh, like this, this helped me a lot. Like all the people who are like, oh man, like, you know, the, the podcast has helped me. And like, these are the things that I've done. And these are the things that I've learned or whatever, like that fuels me. Like that means that I'm doing a good job. For sure. So I'm, I'm kind of right there with you. Like 
making making content is just like addictive like especially if you're already good at it you know like if if you are doing a good job and seeing the results from that and people are loving it then it's beautiful right it doesn't hurt also that we just have like the best supporters in the world the most generous patreons um the best discord all that stuff is is a huge upside it makes it really easy to appreciate doing this yeah and i mean obviously like a lot of this is just like both of both you and I are just incredibly lucky. Yeah. Just period. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I think that every day. I'm like, why, how did my life get to this point? It makes no sense. But yeah, we have a lot of run goods. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Dude, you have a family of foxes. Doesn't get better in your than backyard. that. I, I know. It's, it's really unfathomable. God, like the last two tournaments I've been to, I haven't met any stray cats. I've, I've been running bad. Whammies. Anyway, uh, my, my main takeaways, I guess, would be humble, be self-aware, Always be trying to learn things because you like you're listening to this podcast. You play magic. You're smart. Like just end of story. You know, like you you are able to realize all of the things that you do not know. So focus on that. Focus on how to tackle those things. If they are specific things, like by all means, you can ask us like how you should go about working on those things and getting better at them or whatever. But like you can also figure it out yourself. Like I believe in you. Yeah, well said. And uh, I guess my wrap-up points are honesty is key with yourself, with others. All of that will make a huge difference in your approach. Um, and then one final kind of maxim, be confident that you're right and ready to be proven wrong at the same time. I think that's really powerful advice because it lets you speak with confidence. It lets you assert your own opinions, find your own voice, find your own way of thinking about the game while still challenging everything you're putting forth and allowing yourself to be open to outside information. You know how many times I write an article where I'm like, this is the truth. And then next week I'm like, okay, I figured out that this is actually the truth. Right. I was totally wrong about the previous truth, but this truth is really good. Yep. Uh, we have a question. Yeah, let's take a question. I mean, I think this is kind of tied into what we were talking about um, as as far as drive and inspiration. Southpaw asks, what person outside of magic inspires you inside of magic? I thought that was a really interesting question. Uh, you go first. Okay. This is a sappy answer, but it's my wife. Um, mm. She is, you know, not only because she is just an actual inspiring force in my life. She, she pushes me to do things. She pushes me to try things. She um, is willing to embrace the chances I take, but she's also accomplished a tremendous amount herself. I don't know if she likes that I'm going to share this story, but she doesn't listen to the podcast, so I'm going to do it anyway. But my wife didn't go to high school. She was riding horses professionally, actually. She was an equestrian rider. And Dude, so- yeah. And when I met her, she always carried this kind of doubt about not going to high school. She's like, oh, I, I must not know a lot. You know, I, I feel like I'm not as smart as everyone, but you talk to her and you immediately realize she's incredibly intelligent, incredibly bright. And so she went on and got a GED and went to college and she's kind of absolutely excelled in her field, you know, is is the big earner in the family now for sure. <laughs> and, and has just accomplished so much. I'm super proud of her. And she kind of overcame this self-doubt that she had. And it's super inspiring. So, you know, she encourages me to bring the same approach to magic, any kind of self-doubt. I just want to throw to the wayside and be like, look, I'm capable of this. Um, despite the fact that I don't have the results, I'm still going to proclaim myself to be great at something. 
you know, it, it just, you're able to find a lot of faith by understanding that the typical metrics that dictate how well you're doing at things, you know, things like a high school degree um, are actually maybe not all that important a lot of the time. Yeah, I, I basically agree with that, but that's, that's a whole other can of worms. Right. Is it cheating if I name another professional gamer? A little bit. Like that's kind of where I defaulted to. I was I was thinking like maybe someone like Faker at first because he's so successful and his approach to the game and how much he cares. Um, but ultimately, I I wanted to distance distance myself a little bit from gaming. Word. Uh, I don't know. Like I I have like a an approach that I think is slightly different at least now compared to a lot of my peers in magic where I think a lot of people are focused on themselves and certainly there's like friend groups, right? Where it's like, all right, this is like my S tier group of friends. And like, these are the people I care about succeeding and I want to help them. And then there's the A tier where it's like, oh, I want them to succeed, but I'm not necessarily going to go out of my way. And it kind of like breaks down from there. Right. And it's mm-hmm. like, my, my approach is basically like, I just, I want my friends to succeed. And then whatever happens to me is gravy, you know? Because I'm I'm fine with all the things that I've done and everything, and I, I basically just want to teach. I want to help people. But the the people who look at it different than me also, I don't know. It's just like Owen, for example, right? It's like Owen and I are like aren't best friends or anything. I know he listens to the podcast, which is like another thing that I don't understand. Like, if you're great already, why do you listen to this podcast? Because this is about like you know how to get there, kind of. Right. Seth listens too. Seth is the number one player in the world. I also know he listens to the podcast. So for, for some reason, these people are listening to what we have to say. It doesn't make a ton of sense. Don't it's, question it. It's so wild. It's so wild. But like the, the drive that Owen has is inspiring. And he's just like, I want to win. I want to win. I want to do whatever it takes to win. I don't care what it is, you know, like within the rules, obviously. And there's a, a Smash Brothers player named Leffen who also mm. like has the same mentality. And it's just like, reminds me that I used to have that and like, Oh, maybe I should like try a little harder to actually win and just like do it for myself a little bit more. And I don't know, there's like a lot of other stuff going on with Leffen specifically too. But like, you know, whenever I read like an Owen article or whatever, it's like, I'm kind of reminded a little bit of the, the Leffen side of things. Right. But like Red Bull has like a six episode short on Leffen that is just awesome. And people should watch that. I don't care if you, you know, pay attention to Smash or not. You should watch it because it is hype. It is. Is Leffen a, fo- a Fox main? Am I correct in thinking that? Yeah. Okay, I thought so. I, I don't follow as much Smash as I used to, but I, I do remember. You know, it gets it gets boring to root for the gods all the time, right? And and I don't know if Leffen is Does is he it? considered one of the gods? He he was considered the God Slayer. Okay, that's what I thought. He was the only person that was capable of taking like actual sets off them. And now it's, right. it's, it's wind up widened up a little bit and like different people are winning tournaments. Like Plop just won a tournament a few weeks ago or a month ago. So, you know, people are getting better, but like that sort of thing is like super inspiring too, where it's like these six people are so good that they only lose to each other. Literally no one else can beat them. How insane is that? Like, obviously you're never going to get to that point in magic, but it's just like, think of how, crazy a work ethic like those six people have to have compared to literally everyone else in the world who plays smash which is a tremendous tremendous amount of people yeah and and not only like casual smash like they're the competitive field is very very broad at this point and the distance between these people is so mind-blowing it's ridiculous yeah or or like uh the 
the Smash documentary is on YouTube. It's like nine 30 minute episodes. Also, people should just watch that because again, like it it will make you feel things and it is awesome. But uh Korean DJ like started coming up and he was like playing in tournaments. He's like, I want to get better. How do I do it? He just made a list of everyone who is better than him. And then would go to these tournaments and just like challenge them to money matches. Like, Hey, let's play a match for like five bucks or whatever. And they're just like, yeah, who's this random guy? Like I'll take your $5, whatever. And he just kept playing them until he like learned how to beat them. And then he would just like cross people off the list one by one until like he was one of the best. God, that's so awesome. He's just like a complete assassin. One by one, you'll be removed from my list. Yeah. Yeah. That is insane, man. Like, like those sorts of stories from the smash community, like, I don't know, man. It, it makes me just like want to fly to a magic German right now, you know? Yeah, Smash has a lot of great things going on in it. If you're if you're not familiar with the game, even if you're not a huge fan of, of that style of game, do a little research into it. The community and the competitive scene that's formed around it is really fascinating. Uh, one of those subcultures that if you dive deep into it, you're definitely rewarded with an incredible amount of information and a, a really good portrait of greatness to tie back to the theme of the episode. Um, the level of commitment that these people have shown to this game, which is, I don't even know how many years old at this point, is kind of mind blowing and a, a very clear picture of greatness for sure. It's got to be coming up on like 20 years old. It's like all of the tournament stuff is grassroots. You know, like, and these, these tournaments just have like massive amounts of people and it's kind of similar to magic where like the payouts aren't very high, you know, but it's like, they just do it for love of the game and because like they want to be good. Right. And it's even crazier than magic in that the vast majority of people have absolutely no chance whatsoever. Like they're not, they're not even in the conversation of ever winning a tournament. None, um, but like, they're, like they're, they're, but they're, they're so invested. And it's like, they know the people, they know the characters, they know like how they're supposed to play the characters and everything. They're, they just happen to not be very good. Yep. Boom. Leffen, Leffen is a villain. Definitely not the same degree as Owen, but like the same type of thing where they're just like, I want to be, I want to be the very best. Like I am the best, like, end of story right and just like people love to hate that sort of person and that that person is just very inspiring to me they make it for excellent uh drama and viewing that's for sure that too that's gay Good luck.